Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Go to John 15. Go to John 15. I'm going to really quick. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, before you do that, go to Luke. Let's, let's go back there for just a second. For, go back to Luke 14 for just a moment. If you got John 15, go ahead and hold, hold that. Uh, we'll go there in just a minute. But just kind of nudged by the Holy Ghost here. Go back to Luke 14 for just a minute. And let's just kind of wrap up what we were talking about this morning. As we've been talking about living the life of a disciple, we're going over the characteristics or the traits attributes of what a disciple is you and I need to understand them and know them clearly because it's how we not only become a disciple but it's also how we remain one it's the greatest way to live on the planet there's no better way to live on the planet I know this morning might have been a little bit challenging but you're not going to live the life of a disciple without being challenged in some areas where you know you need to adjust or change the reality of what again we walk out as a child of God is we didn't come into Christianity already perfected in our walk. We're perfecting it as we go. And God's helping us to do that. Amen. And that's what I love about God. The thing you got to remember as it relates to God is, is that God is not out to get you. God's out to help you. He's not trying to get anybody in relationship to the context of, a, of what is a child of God. He's really not even out to get sinners currently because of the grace uh, period that we're in. So we're living in a time different than what would happen in the Old Testament. A lot of people say, man, he was a mean God in the Old Testament. You don't know him then. He wasn't a mean God. He was a just God. All he dealt with was evil. And when you, dealt, you, when you deal with evil, that's being just. If you let evil go on and don't deal with it, you're pretty much an unjust God. But he's not. He's a just God. The greatest truth that I would like to remind you about, about being a disciple of Jesus, is to remind you what Jesus said about himself. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've seen a perfect representation of who the Father is. And thank God we can walk with him. Amen? So we've already gone over four characteristics of a disciple. If you're learning these for the first time, I want to encourage you to get them down. If you are obviously hearing them for the second, third, fiftieth time, it's good to jot a note maybe to be reminded. Number one, you got to do what? Abide in the Word. John 8, 31, a disciple abides in the Word. Jesus is the Word. You're not going to truly become a disciple of His, a student of His, without abiding in His Word. Now, I want to make, I want to make an emphasis on something tonight, because when we go into this fifth point, you'll see why I'm going to do this. When John 8, 31 says, He who abides in my Word, He didn't say words. He said words, singular. So many of you know this if you've been in this church any length of time. There's two different words in the Greek language in the New Testament referring to God's word. One is logos, one is rhema. In John 8, 31, the word is logos. Logos is the whole of what scripture obviously reveals. So when he said you must abide in my word, he's saying you got to abide in the whole of what scripture reveals. Not one little verse here or there, but the whole of what scripture teaches. If you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed, and you will obviously know the truth through application, and the truth will set you free. So that's talking about abiding in the Logos. Say Logos. Now let me explain. That's not building faith. That's living in the Logos of the word, the whole of scripture, 
to understand what the Bible reveals, how you and I are to obviously walk out what God has for our life as a child of God. Most importantly, who we are and learning that from the scriptures. Number two was found here in Luke 14, 26. You can't do what? You can't love your father, mother, brother, sister, uh, you know, any relative, any other person, even your own life more than you love Jesus or you can't be his disciple. So characteristic number two is what? Tell me. Jesus must be your first love. Jesus must be your first love. Remember Revelation 2, church at Ephesus. He told them, he said that you've left your first love. You could at one time have Jesus as your first love and walk away from him being your first love. Not good. So we've covered that and talked about that and the importance of that and how not to obviously let that happen or how to correct it if it has. But that's very clear in verse 26. You understand, obviously, anybody been in this church any length of time, we just let the Bible interpret the Bible. Now, that don't mean you, gotta, you don't study to show yourself approved. Sure you do. You'll see this tonight as I'm going to relate another truth to you. But at the same time, we're not trying to make the Bible say something it doesn't. Black and white, you can't love anybody more than me or you can't be my disciple. Plain as could be. Amen? Verse 27 is the third characteristic or trait of what we're covering, of what a disciple is. Whoever does not bear his cross, come after me, cannot be my disciple. Now that, as, I'm, as I've revealed to you directly through Scripture, we're not adding to that. We're not making up what that says. What does it mean to bear my cross? He didn't tell you directly there. So then you got to go find out relating to his life, how does that relate to me? So you find out when he talked about taking the cross, obviously going to the cross for me and you, he said it was a fulfillment of the Father's will. So what does taking up our cross mean? It means that you and I as a disciple have what? A desire to fulfill the Father's will. So that's what we're to do now. We're to fulfill the Father's will for our life, which I taught you really. Let's just see how well I taught you. If you're in relationship to taking up the will of the Father for your life, what are you really doing there primarily? You are dying to flesh. You're taking off the old man and you're doing what? So you're putting on the new man. Right? Taking up the will of the Father is putting on the new man. Walking out. And, and it goes beyond that to relating to specifics of what God's called you to do. God called me away from the rodeo world. And uh, you know, called me into ministry. Called me into being a, a pastor full time. So uh, you got to realize too, sure it can go beyond understanding the basics of the new life you're to live. Because it also refers to the fact what God wants you to do. Did you know God has a pre-assigned place for you to work? Or a business to have? Or friends to, I mean, he's already designed everything he wants for your life. And sadly, a lot of Christians going through life don't even know if they really are in the will of God. But we can find out. I said, we can find out. So we taught you how to do that in taking up the will of God in verse 27. Then this morning, we started on now what is the fourth characteristic of a disciple. Let's just reread it real quick So because we just looked at it once. I'll do a little review, and then we'll jump into this uh, new part that we're going to get into tonight. So here in verse 28, he said, Which of you intending to build a tower does not do what? Sit down first and say it for me, please. Count the cost. Say it, everybody. Count the cost. If you're going <clears> to <throat> sit down and build something, you better first count the cost. Why? Whether you got enough to finish. God wants you to finish. I said, God wants you to finish. If you left your first love and you don't correct that, you're not going to finish well. God wants you to finish well. If you later on in the book of Revelation and chapter uh, three, there a little further on, talking to the church at Laodicea, they were lukewarm. That's not finishing well. God wants us to finish well. Amen. So he says, you got to do what? Count the cost. 
Whether you got enough to finish, verse 29, lest after you begin to build, laying the foundation, you're not able to finish, and all who see it mock him, saying, this man began to build, was not able to finish. 31, or, another example, what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and do what? Tell me out loud, please. Consider. What does he do? Consider whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else while the other's still a great way off, he has to send a delegation and ask for conditions of peace. Let me tell you what we never do. We never ask conditions of peace of our enemy. That is not the life of a disciple of Jesus. But sadly, many compromise in relationship, unfortunately, to being taken advantage of by some of the things of the enemy. Why? They never considered things in their life that hindered them from being a disciple. Walking, in, in, walking, therefore, in the revelation of what they have, authority they have, understanding who they are. Have you again, so I want to reiterate this, have you again, how do I, oh, I, I didn't get to the last verse yet. 33, so likewise, so likewise, whoever of you does not what, tell me, forsake all, all that he has cannot be my disciple. So verse 28 ties all the way down with verse 33. So he's telling you, Attribute number four of a disciple, you must be willing. Say willing. willing. God's not telling you just get rid of everything you got. No, because obviously you still need things to take care of your family. House to live in, car to get to where you got to go to work. He's not telling you just ditch everything you got. He's saying you got to be willing. You got to be willing to forsake whatever it takes to walk out this life as a disciple or you can't what? Can't be my disciple. If you're not willing to forsake anything God shows you that's hindering your walk with him, you're certainly not going to be his disciple. So how do we forsake all? Two things. First thing, count the cost. You got to realize as a disciple of God, I am not going to become a disciple of Jesus Christ without knowing it's going to cost me something. It's going to cost you time. You have to get to church. You have to spend time with God in the word. Do it right. You're going to have to take time to learn how to pray. It's going to cost you money. You got to invest in some things spiritually to develop and grow and understand the things of God. Right? Guess what else it cost me? Friends, who I found out really weren't what I needed for friends. Amen. Guess what else it's cost me? It's cost me other activities that I was doing with my life. My life today is pretty much, my, my wife can tell you, uh, my, my mother-in-law, I call her mom, so I'm just going to call her mom. She's not really my mother-in-law. To me, she's my mom. My mom can tell you about the only thing that I do because I'm pretty much consumed with, uh, you know, Bible and study and scripture and pastoring pretty much every day, all day. When I come home, I, about the only thing that Kathy and I ever do to spend some time together is watch the Cowboy Channel. We watch rodeos. She goes and works on puzzles. She's bored with all of our rodeos. <laughs> I don't blame her. <laughs> I don't blame her. She's a great puzzle maker, by the way, man. She can get those puzzles, man. I'll tell you what. So, so realize this. As I've walked out more and more and more with God, guess what I've pulled away farther and farther and farther from? The things of the world. They don't interest me anymore. The things that used to consume my time, they don't interest me anymore. Tell you what does. Knowing God better. And there's not a hardly, when I get up first thing in the day, when I get up and I'm getting ready, I'll guarantee you, you come, don't do it. If you came in my bathroom while I was getting ready, you know what you're going to hear? Kenneth Hagin, almost every morning. You're going to hear Kenneth Hagin. I'm sure she can hear it through the wall because her, ba- her bedroom's on the other side. Or you're going to hear Dr. Barclay, or you're going to hear Dr., uh, Dr. Lester Summerall, because uh, I listen to these guys every single day. There's not a day that goes by that I don't listen to preaching. I don't do it because I'm a pastor. 
I do it because I'm a disciple, because I love Jesus. I love learning. I love relearning. I love hearing things over and over again. I'm listening to a series by Brother, by brother uh, uh, Hagen for the umpteenth time. And I'm as excited to hear it now as I was the first time I heard it. And this is a problem with a lot of Christians. They get bored with church. They get bored with hearing the same thing over and over again. That's why Dr. Barclay said, you know, it's easy for me, a prophet of God, to come in your church, blow in, blow up, and blow out, and everybody's excited because the prophet came. Then they get the old pastor back, and then they're bored and sleeping yawning again. Why? Because they got to have you week in and week out. They hear you over and over and over again, but they just hear me once in a while. So realize this, you got to understand this as a child of God. You got to know to walk in the position of a disciple, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you things. Count the cost. You're not going to be willing to forsake all if you don't do what? Count the cost. Recognize it's going to cost me something. Then you go to the second phrase and do what? Therefore, I got to consider. If I'm going to count the cost to be a disciple, what do I do? Go to stage two. Consider then. Consider your lifestyle. Consider what you're listening to. Consider what's consuming your time. You got to do this as a disciple. You can't sit back and just say, well, no big deal. Uh, everything will just work itself out. No, it won't. You've got to consider what you're taking your time up with. Right. And you got to recognize, I showed you this in the book of Hebrews. I'd really like to go back to it, but I don't have time. But back there in the book of Hebrews, remember what he said this morning? We looked at it, 13, 1 and 2. Remember what he told you there? He told you very clearly that as a disciple of Jesus, what must you do? To walk out being a disciple of Jesus, you've got to lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares you. What does it do? It easily ensnares you. So what's the purpose of sin? To capture you and pull you away from God. To take hold of your life and keep you from walking out what God has for your life. So I wanted to take a few moments to focus on this a little more real quick. I want to talk about that again. So if I am now considering in my life things that could hinder me from walking out what God has for my life, what am I considering? Everybody say every weight. Every weight. So it's not hard to figure out. All you got to do is look at your life and say, is this a weight to me? Holding me back from getting closer to God, closer to the things of God, and becoming a better disciple. If it is, it's a weight. Now think about this. If it's a weight, what is it doing? It's weighting you down. It's putting a burden on your life that God didn't intend for you to have. This is why Jesus said, come to me. Come to me. Hey, my burden's easy. My yoke is light. I'm empowering. I'm not, I'm not a burden on you. You listening? I'll lift burdens off of you. So you got to recognize things in your life that God wants you to push aside and to get out of your life that's hindering you in developing your faith and being a disciple is for your benefit. Amen. Giving those things up, you get something so much better in return. Right. Amen. What do you get? Closer relationship with God. Therefore, you're going to get what? More of the power of God operating in your life. More of the faith of God working in your life. More of the things of God working for you. Can I get a better amen? amen? So realize again what he's talking about is he's talking about here that you got to what? Be willing to forsake all by knowing I've got to count the cost and therefore I need to consider my life and recognize what things are hindering me in my walk with God. And if I see things that are hindering me, now you know we might have something in our life that we've committed to that could be hindering us in some way that we can't just immediately walk away from. Uh, I, that's totally understandable. But you know what I would begin to do? I begin to pray. That's right. 
I begin to ask God, God, show me how I can change this, how I can get out of this, get free from this, and know, know that therefore I can walk out what you have for my life. So I'm not talking about you just got to instantly turn around and change things. I told you my story about the job situation. Now, I was committed. I was just committed. I just believe God. I'm giving two weeks notice. I don't care. I'm not dying for driving a truck for some company. And I, I don't necessarily encourage you to go to your boss and just immediately say two week notice. You know, unless you got the kind of faith like I just knew God's going to provide for me. He don't want me doing this. He's going to provide for me. And actually within three days, I got the phone call from my friend. My boss did tell me though, if you need more than two weeks, don't worry about it. But I thought, first of all, driving back at the end of that day, I thought, I'm not going to say nothing yet till I find another job. And I thought, no, no, I already know I'm not going to be doing this. I'm going to tell him it was my two week notice, man. Praise the Lord. I'm not telling you to do that. So I'm just saying, if you are in a situation maybe that's causing you to be burdened down from walking with God, start praying. Ask God to show you. He's a great God. He's an awesome father. He's smarter than me and you. Turn your neighbor and say, you're pretty smart. God's smarter. God's so much smarter. He, he knows, man. He knows how to work things out. I said he knows how to work things out. See, you can't take what I had happened to me and just say, well, I'm going to get a phone call in three days and somebody's going to offer me a job. That may not happen that way for you. It'll happen if you trust God. It'll happen one way or another. But you got to know that God doesn't, quote unquote, get stuck in a box where it always happens the same way for everybody because he's going to work in every situation differently based on what's going on. Amen? So know the trade-off is wonderful. It's wonderful. So again, look at this in verse 33. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, I used to make this as a separate point, but it's not. He's not done yet. Verse 34, salt is good. How many like salt on your food? Mama, I know you do. I watch. Yeah. Salt on your food. Anybody like salt on your food? So do I. So do I. You kidding? Scrambled eggs when I get home tonight, man. Salt and pepper. Hallelujah. Notice this. Salt is good. Watch this. But if it has lost its flavor. We learned about this in our men's deal on on, uh, Friday. If it's lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Guess what? Then it's neither fit for the land nor the dunghill. But men do what? They throw it out. It's useless to them. So he who has ears to hear, let him hear. What's he saying? If you lose your flavor, you're not going to look any different to those in the world than them. You're not going to have any form of a flavor attraction about you that would cause them to want to obviously find out what you have. Now, this goes along with forsaking all. This goes along with forsaking all. Why? Because the way that salt loses its flavor in that region of of, uh, Israel where this was actually stated, they actually find salt rind in different parts of the uh, area there. And the parts that's exposed to the elements, the rain, the sun, all that stuff, guess what happens? It loses its flavor. But that which is underneath it and hidden from the elements of the world, it it maintains its flavor. So what he's saying is you can't get mixed up in the elements of the world and maintain your flavor for God. You listening? You can't. We talked about it this morning. What did, what did we learn this morning out of what Scripture taught us about not being entangled together with the affairs of this life? Remember what Paul told Timothy? So you cannot, quote unquote, be entangled with all the attributes of this world affecting your life and be a disciple of Jesus. You're going to lose your flavor. But thank God we're not going to do that in Jesus' name. Can I get a better amen? All right, John 15. John 15. So that wasn't all review. I just wanted you to understand, how do I know, Pastor, what I am to obviously let go of? 
to forsake. What is it that I know I need to forsake to walk with Jesus? Is it a weight? Is it hindering you in any way from walking closer with God? Then you need to start talking to God about that. And you need to ask God as well. There'll be things in your life sometimes you may not realize that God will show you that's a weight. That's a hindrance. The sin that so easily ensnares you, that's no hard to figure out. You listening? I say it's not. It seems like to be for some Christians, although if you ask them, they would know it's wrong. How many Christians slander today? How many Christians gossip and backbite? All that's going to do is hinder you walking with God because that's not good in the eyes of God. Matter of fact, God takes a very dim view of gossip and backbiting. Amen? Slandering. So realize if you're doing those things, get them out of your life. All they're going to do is hinder you as being a disciple and then walking in what God has for your life. John 15, we're going on to number five. You still with me? John 15, and of course, again, you'll know these are absolutes. Jesus says, this is what you got to do to be my disciple, or if you don't do this, you can't be my disciple. Now, I want you to pay attention real close here to these first eight verses with me. You ready? 15.1, Jesus said, I'm the true vine. Say, he's the vine. Watch this, my father is what? Now, that's important. My father is the vine dresser. What does a vine dresser do in a vineyard? They prune the vines. Why do they prune the vines? So they grow. So they'll keep growing and produce more. Who's the one that prunes us? The Father. The Father is, according to Jesus' own words. Notice again, I'm the true vine. My Father is who? The vine dresser. Every branch, say I'm a branch. Every branch in me. Who is he? The vine. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, what does he do? What does the Father do? He'll eventually take it away. He'll take it away. Notice this. And every branch that bears fruit, he will do what? He'll prune that one that it may do what? Now, you're going to see two different references to fruit here, and they're not the same. So here's where studying to show yourself approved is necessary to realize he's not talking about the same thing. And you'll see that as we go through this. So bearing fruit here in verse 2, and he's going to refer to it again in just a minute in a couple of verses. Bearing fruit here is bearing what we know, of course, as the new spirit nature fruit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. If we stay connected to Jesus, the vine, born again, we have the ability to produce what? The very fruit of the new nature that God gave us. That fruit of the spirit, as I've taught you, is not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. As Galatians 5.22 shows a capitalization of it, this proves to you that that's not what it's referring to. Because he did not say the Holy Spirit is the branch. He said you are. What does the branch do? Bear fruit. So you branch bearer, or you branch, are a fruit bearer. Amen? This isn't the Holy Spirit bearing fruit. This is you bearing fruit. So all of Galatians 5.22 and 23 is literally our fruit of our new nature as a spirit being born again. And the fruit that he's talking about in verse 2 is that fruit. It is that very fruit of that new nature. Read it again. I'm the true vine. So in other words, there are those who claim to be in a position of giving you what would be a form of eternal life or what you need. I mean, all these different religions. But guess what? They're not the true vine. There's only one way to get true eternal life, and that's through the true vine. I'm the true vine. Father is the vine dresser. Every branch. So that's me again. Every branch in me. So how do you get in him? You get born again. Every branch in me that does not what? Bear fruit. What's he eventually going to do? Take it away. Take it away. Notice, every branch that bears fruit, he does what again? Prunes that it may do what? 
So part of that pruning, as we just talked about, is him dealing with you about forsaking things that you need to let go of. Right. That's called pruning. Yeah. I said that's called pruning. Yeah. When God reveals to you stuff that's hindering your walk with God, he's asking you to do what? He's asking you to let it go. Guess what he won't do? He won't come take it from you. As the vine dresser, he shows you what it is. I wish, man, I've told God many times, I said, I know you know better, you're far smarter than me, you know how to do this much better than I do. But it would have been cool if you'd have just taken this stuff away from us. If you'd have just removed it yourself. But the truth is, then you don't have the free will to choose that you want to do so because you love God. So he reveals stuff that needs to be removed. If I honor that, what's happening? I'm being pruned. What's going to be the result? More fruit. Come on, somebody. How many want to see more of your new fruit nature come out? Well, for that to happen again, carrying out what the previous point was, willing to forsake all, the vine dresser is the father. He'll reveal things that need to change in your life, things that need to be taken out, things you need to get rid of. And when you choose to do so and you prune them, the result's going to be what? More fruit. More love. More joy. Come on, more peace. I'll wait till you get caught up tonight. Verse 3, watch this. You're already clean. So once you're connected to him spiritually, you're clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Talking to his disciples, meaning that clearly, he knew that they would receive him once raised from the dead and therefore be cleansed of their sin. Verse 4, abide in me. Amen. Watch again. Abide in me and I what? In you. As the branch cannot do what? Now it bears fruit, but not this kind. It won't, it won't bear the fruit of God by itself. It won't bear the fruits of the, of the new created uh, spirit man because it's not in there. But if you are in him and he's in you, then the, the, obviously the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, but unless it abides in the vine. If it abides in the vine, then neither can you unless you do what? Abide in me. Amen. Moving on, verse 5. Again, I'm the vine. You are what again? The branches. So all up to this time, all he's referring to constantly here is vine, branch, vine, branch, vine, branch. Anytime he refers to this, the fruit he's talking about is the fruit of your new nature. Galatians 5. You want to put a note by those verses. This is Galatians 5, 22, 23 fruit. That's what he's talking about. You stay connected to the vine. You're the branch. If you continue to do so, he stays connected to you. You're going to bear fruit. And that fruit is that new nature fruit of Galatians 5, 22 and 23. So that again is not the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That confused me forever. I used to read that thing. How do I get this Holy Spirit fruit to come out of my life? And I'd have people teach on it, you know, and I'd try to understand it. I couldn't seem to understand it, get a hold of it. They didn't seem to really understand what they were teaching. And then here comes Brother Hagin. And he's, I didn't know this until I heard it from Brother Hagin way before I was a pastor, way before I got connected with Dr. Barclay. I did not know that capitalizations was not in the original language. That was all done by English translators. So where the word capitalization spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 is, that wasn't in, if you go to the Greek language, it's not there. There was no capitalization. So the English translators interpreted the best they could what they thought it meant. See, if you think whatever, whatever English version you're holding, whatever English version you're holding, oh, I had a guy leave our church one time, and this was back in Roanoke. So you don't know him. This was a long time. He didn't stay with us very long. He was an older guy. I've had everybody leave us for every reason you can imagine. But I was actually coming towards the back of the sanctuary one day, and he says, uh, Pastor, I said, yes, sir. Uh, I said, just want you to know I'm leaving. Okay. All right. Uh, you don't want to know why? Now, it sounds like you got your mind made. So I already learned from my pastor, man. If you've already made up your mind to leave. Now, if you came to me and said, I'd like to talk to you, I might consider leaving. All right, let's talk about it. 
but I learned from my pastor, if they tell you that they're leaving, all they want to do is spew on you. Right. You don't want me to tell a chubby, chubby story of Pastor Chubby. You don't want to tell so, so I just said, I said, okay, sorry that you're leaving. Uh, God bless you. Hope you find a good pastor. Hope you find a good shepherd. You don't want to know why? No. Well, I'm going to tell you anyway. You don't teach out of the King James. I said, wait a minute. You're leaving because I don't teach out of the King James. No, you don't teach out of the true authorized version of the Bible. So I'm not going to this church. I said, you got a problem, buddy. I didn't say buddy. I was nicer than that. I said, you got a problem, sir. I said, you got a problem. He said, what's that? I said, do you read Greek? You know how to read Greek? No. Do you know how to read Hebrew? No. Well, there's no way you're going to understand the true version of the Bible. Because sadly, sir, I'm sorry, but you're showing your ignorance. The King James is not the true authorized version of the Bible. The true authorization of the Bible was actually written in Greek, some Aramaic. And unless you know those languages and have those actual scrolls and those, those scriptures, you're not reading the original. You're reading an English version. Thank God for it. Amen. Now, a handful of weeks. How many remember Brother Evans? Oh, I miss Brother Evans. Uh, one of our spiritual dads, Dr. Evans, where pastor went to Bible college. Dr. Evans, a few weeks later, came and preached for us. And I said, I said, can you believe it? This guy left because we don't teach out of the King James. He said, I bet he told you it was, in, it was totally without error. I said, I said, oh, of course he did. He, had a, he always preached out of the King James, Brother Evans. He pulled his Bible. I said, let me show you a bunch of errors. He went after verse, after verse, after verse. That's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. He said, there is no such thing as a version that doesn't have some form of errors in it. But sadly, people get hung up on the wrong thing. So again here, I'm the vine, verse 5. You are what again? The branches. He who abides in me and I him, again, does what? Bears much fruit, for without me you can do what? Six. If anyone does not abide in me, therefore he's going to be what? If you're not going to stay connected to me, salvation, what's going to happen? You're going to get cast out as a branch and, and it's withered and they're going to gather them at the end of the age. They're going to put them in the fire and they're going to be burned. Anybody need an interpretation of what that means? Now he's done with that subject. He's done with that subject. Now he's going to bring up another subject about a different kind of fruit. But see, if you're not understanding, knowing how to properly interpret Scripture and read Scripture based on context, remember, you've got to keep Scripture in context, you'll miss the power of what he's about to say in the next couple of verses. Everybody thinks it's the same fruit, but proven by his own words, it's not. So we know clearly all through those previous, quote unquote, verse, verse 1 through 6, all those verses, he's keeping referring to what? Vine, branch, vine, branch, vine, branch. Now he's about to pull away from the vine, branch thing, and he's going to talk about another type of fruit. Because you can bear more, thank you Jesus, you can bear more than just the spirit fruit that you have within you. He's about to tell you that. I want you to get that point. Watch this carefully. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. So now he adds something different. Before that, he was saying, if you abide in me and I abide in you. He wasn't referring to himself as the word there. He's talking about you stay in relationship with him. Now, I know there's still people who believe once saved, always saved. That's not true because Hebrews says it's not true. The book of Revelation says it's not true. Your name can be blotted out of the Lamb's book of life, written to a church. But that's a defiant, willful decision. When people say, well, I might have lost my salvation. You won't lose it. You'll renounce it. You'll renounce it. You'll defy him. You'll deny him. And sadly, honestly, our pastor knows, I know of one person, our pastor knows people who have done this, who have committed what's called blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. They want nothing to do with God. They're not like, hey, I'm just kind of upset or mad at God. Anybody ever been upset or mad at God not knowing what you were doing? I'll raise my hand first. You don't have to admit it, but I'll raise mine. 
But then I later learned how, how incorrect I was and that obviously I wasn't seeing things properly or clearly. Amen? I didn't renounce God. I just wasn't real happy with him at the time. Anybody ever, you loved all your parents every single day of your life? You ever been unhappy with a parent before? I'll raise my hand first again. So, you know, you can even be unhappy sometimes with the father, but realize later he's far smarter and he'll, feel, he'll eventually prove himself right. And then you'll go, I'm sorry, father. I'm sorry. Amen? So he's talking here clearly in verse 6 that you can disconnect from the vine. Otherwise, you're still a branch. But if you disconnect from the vine, willfully deny Jesus, renounce the Holy Spirit, blasphemy, guess what you can't do? Can't be forgiven of that. All he's saying is you can't be born again again a second time. You got to be born again, but you can't do it again a second time if you've renounced Jesus. Say, I'm not doing that. So we're not going to spend more time on that. Is that okay? Verse 7, if you abide in me, notice again, he changes the subject. And my words abide in you. Underline that, please. So I mentioned at the start of the service, when he talked about in John 8, 31, if you abide in my word, singular. Notice here it's plural. Word singular, the whole of Scripture. So guess what the actual word for words is here? Rhema. I'm going to show you why. Rhema. What's rhema? Somebody tell me what rhema is. It is the spoken word, right? Logos, written word. If I'm a disciple, I live in this written word. Come on, somebody. See, this isn't, this isn't me hearing it spoken. Logos is I live in this written word. That's logos. You got to live in this if you're going to be a disciple. But here he's saying that you have to, if you abide in him and his what? His words do what? Now, why is it rhema here? If my spoken words abide in you. So the word abide here means come alive in you. If you abide in me and my spoken words abide in you. Notice he's not referring anything at all about a vine. He's not referring anything at all about a branch. What's he done? He's changed the subject. And therefore he's going to change the outcome of the fruit he's talking about. He's not going to talk about the same fruit. He already covered that. Amen? He's going to talk about a different kind of fruit, and he's going to tell you directly what it is. I love this. Watch this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. One of these days, I'm going to get this church to learn when to get excited about certain scriptures. You missed a great chance. Let me give you another opportunity. If that don't excite you, your wood must be wet, or or you're not really paying attention. Did you hear what he just told you? Read it with me. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. That don't excite you. That excites me. Notice the next verse. By this my Father is glorified that you do what? This is not the same fruit. This is not the same fruit. This is not Galatians 5.22 fruit. He's not talking about himself as the vine. He's not talking about you as the branch. He's talking about you connected to him, abiding in him. That's continual relationship as you're going to see in a minute. And his spoken words are abiding in you. Faith comes by. Faith comes by. Faith comes by. Now notice this. Comes by hearing and hearing. And hearing and hearing and hearing. Faith doesn't come today by what you heard Wednesday. Faith doesn't come today by what you heard last Sunday. 
So what you heard last Sunday helped you last Sunday. But if you want to continue to see your faith grow, you need to hear the word preached today. Right? Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing by the... So what's he saying here? Watch this. He says, by this, my father's glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Oh, we found another disciple key. What's a disciple here? A disciple is one who asks what they desire and it will be done for them. Thank you, Tamara. A disciple is one who asks for what they desire and it will be done for them. That's a disciple. Well, what is asking for what I desire and seeing it come to pass? You ready? That's called walking by faith. How do you see that work? By faith. Do I have to now spell out to you the fifth attribute of a disciple? A disciple does what? A disciple walks by faith, not by sight. A disciple walks by faith, not by sight. You don't ask for what you desire and see it come to pass unless you have what? Faith. Faith. Bible believing faith. Active and working in your life. If you walk by sight, you will not see faith work for you. You cannot walk by sight and faith at the same time. You got to walk by faith, the Bible says, not by what you see. Not by what you see. So the fifth attribute of a disciple, they walk by faith, not by sight. That should be pretty obvious, shouldn't it be? Because if we're a disciple of Jesus, what did Jesus do? He walked by faith and not by sight. Amen. So you and I got to understand this. For verse 7 tells us, I have to do what now? So look at the clues in verse 7 of what I got to do. I have to abide in him. Now this isn't referring to a vine now. This is just referring to him personally. To him personally. I'll give it to you from the voice translation. A little more accurate. If you maintain a living communion with me. That's the phrase abide in him. If you, if you maintain. Say maintain. If you maintain a living communion with me. I actually like the word there. A little difficult maybe for some to understand. We received communion this morning. What does communion mean? One with. One with. If you're one with him, what are you doing? You're walking close with him. You can't be one with Jesus and not walk with him. Right? So how do I, according to what he is now telling me, different from the previous verses, how do I, in verse 7, abide in him? I walk in close communion with him. Meaning what? I maintain a close relationship with Jesus. If I maintain a close relationship with Jesus and his spoken words, rhema, His spoken words do what? Abide in me. Come alive in me. Live in me. Think about the the incredible promise here. If I walk close with Jesus, if nothing else, why would you not want to walk close with Jesus for the reason that he just told you on this case? If I walk close with Jesus and I keep hearing the word and I get that rhema word alive in me, what's going to happen? I can ask what I desire. And he'll do it. You know what that means? I'll get response from God and my prayers will work. Because I'm walking by faith, not by sight. Why are a lot of Christians not walking by faith? No close relationship with the one they're trying to put their trust in. And or not listening enough to the word to get it come alive in them. I love that song. I trust in God, my Savior. But how do you do that without knowing him? 
So I've used this many, many times as an example. I trust Josh, uh, Josh Grimes explicitly. I almost called you Josh Berkeley. I, I trust Josh Grimes explicitly. I've known him over 20 plus years. I'd let him drive my truck anywhere he wants. I'd let him use anything I got. I would never have a concern at all of Josh having keys to my house. I wouldn't think he'd be coming, sneaking around in there to see if I'm listening to Brother Hagen while I'm in the shower or not. <laughs> I, I don't think he would do that. Are you listening? You know why I trust him so much? You know why I trust him so much? I've been together with him 20 plus years. When he started, our, started off as my armor bearer, he would travel with me. He would go to meetings with me. He would go help me. He would go uh, obviously be with me at these meetings I would go do. Help me to be able to do what I had to do at the meetings to buy, by, you know, carrying my Bible, taking uh, materials in, you know, back then tapes. If you remember cassette tapes and stuff that we would take different places and stuff that people would buy. And over time, we've spent time working around the church together. Uh, he has helped me in so many different ways in doing stuff around the church. Well, man, I wish I could spend that time with you. Come work around the church. Well, I don't want to work. <laughs> well, y'all can spend time with me. I got a work to do. Amen. And I trust him. If Josh tells me something, I trust him. I don't think he's lying. I take him at his word. He's not going to tell me something. Well, maybe pastor, this mic could work. You might want to try it. I've asked him about a lot of stuff I know he knows about because I know he understands what he's talking about, about certain subjects. And I trust him and I want to learn from him. I don't know everything I need to know. Do you? But you know what? You can't do that with everybody. You can't trust everybody. Why not? Why can you not trust everybody? You don't spend time with them. You don't really know them. Do you know why a lot of Christians have a hard time trusting God? They don't spend time with him, Tamara. How are you going to trust the one you don't even spend time with and get to know? But man, if I make a commitment to spend time with Jesus, abide in him, relationship, Stay one with him, stay close to him, right by his side, fellowship with him, get to know him. And I do what? And I keep his word coming into my heart. I keep that rhema spoken word. I keep that spoken word coming into my heart, abiding in my heart. What happens? It's going to produce faith. And when it produces faith, guess what I'm going to be able to do? See, a lot of people say, well, you can't ask for whatever you desire. God's not going to give you whatever you desire. Read the verse. Do you really think I'm going to ask for something that I don't know is the will of God once I have faith in it? In relationship? I'm not going to have faith for it if God didn't say it. Come on, somebody. I'm giving you some of you an answer as to why your faith's not working as well as it should be. You need to look at two things, relationship and how much word you're getting. Because faith don't come by what you heard. It comes by what you're hearing. This, I, don't, I don't listen to the word preached every day because I'm like, oh, I got to get more faith. Oh, I got to get more faith. No, I want to get closer to God. I want to know God more. But you know what happens when you come and hear the word preached? You know what happens when you turn it on every day? Faith is being built. Thus saith the Bible. As long as you're not receiving it incorrectly, if your heart's open to receive it humbly like James 1 says, receive it with meekness. Just accept what it says. The other reason that you would hear the word and not grow faith in your heart is because when you hear it, you'd say, I don't know if I can believe that. You need to stop that. Because you're disagreeing with God. You need to take God at his word. You need, you need to just take this statement to the bank, man. I mean, I used to hear Brother Hagin say it. He used to hear Brother Kenyon uh, say it in his writings. Uh, who knows where it originated? Probably, obviously God, right? Right? If God said it, if God said it, that settles it. I don't need to hear anything else. I'm good to go. We talked about it again in our men's meeting the other night. How about the guy with great faith that was a, that was a Roman soldier? 
He wasn't even a Jew. But you know what he knew? He knew two things. You have authority because when you speak, stuff happens. And I know that because I'm a man under authority. And when I'm giving orders and then I give those orders to my men, guess what they do? They do what I tell them. I know when you speak, stuff listens to you. Demons listen to you. Bodies listen to you. Come on. Situations listen to you. When you speak, man, your word carries authority. Right? My servant's lying at home at the point of death. He didn't say, come heal him. Most would have said, could you come heal him? He didn't say that. You know what he said? Just speak the word. All I need to know is you've spoken the word. Once you do, it's a done deal. Oh, if Christians could come to that point in their walk with God. You know what a person of great faith needs? One thing. What did God say about it? That's all I need. Can I get a better amen? But that's not going to come for most of us without relationship with God. So again, verse 7, if you abide in me, my words abide in you. Totally different. I, I read all the previous verses so you don't get confused in reading this and think they're the same fruit. They're not. Amen. They're clearly not because he's referring to two separate things. Here he directly says that if you abide in me and my words, my spoken words abide in you, then you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. Not before. I said not before. Are you listening? If you abide in me. Condition and my words abide in you. Then what? You will then ask what you desire and it shall be done. That's faith, folks. That's faith. And guess what happens in verse 8? Don't think God doesn't want to see you work what is his will for your life. Don't think he doesn't want to answer your prayers. Look at verse 8. By this my father's glorified. He wants to. Brings glory to him. By this my father's glorified that you do what? Bear a little bit of fruit. Excuse me? Much fruit, so you will be my what? So I want to make sure you get it. The point I'm making again, according to Scripture, this don't work without faith. A disciple does what? A disciple walks by faith, not by sight. You could say it another way, but then you miss the point of the significance of what he's saying here. You could say a disciple bears much fruit, meaning prayer fruit. You could say a disciple gets many answers to prayer. But all that's based on what? They're walking by faith. Because verse 7 told you that's how it comes. How does it come? Words is rhema, abiding in me. Guess what you need to have going into your life every single day? Rhema. Guess what you above all generations are more blessed to have than almost anybody else? Go to James 4. You're, you're blessed to have in your time of life that you live access to the spoken word of God pretty much anywhere on the planet. You listening? Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that I, honestly, there's a lot of things about technology that I don't like. But I guarantee you, if you got a cell phone in today's times, you got access to the preaching of the Word of God any time of day, anywhere you're at. Well, I don't have a good signal. Download it to your phone. You don't need a signal. Amen? The reason a lot of Christians are not seeing their prayers answered is because their relationship with God ain't what it should be or they're not hearing the word of God like they should. So let's talk about some things that will help us in relationship to getting our faith to work. Amen? James 4, if you're there, say amen. So what's the first thing he said you got to do? You have to abide in me. You got to stay close to me. Right? Yes, no, maybe. Yep, verse 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll do what? Flee from you. Look at verse 8. Do what? Say it out loud, please. I don't care how many times you've seen it. Say it out loud. Draw near to God. What? Every day. 
every day. Notice it did not say God's going to draw near to you. Nope. He's a good checker player. He sent Jesus. He did his part. Guess what he's waiting on? You. Draw near to God and he will do what? What will God do? How many think he does what he says? If I'll draw near to God, he will draw near to me. But notice what else he implies. uh, Notice what else he speaks of here and implies in relationship to this. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So listen, sin doesn't once again separate you once you're born again from God. You can't be separated from God. You're a spirit. God's spirit lives in you. You cannot be separated from God through sin. If you've ever been taught if you sin, you're separated from God. That's not true. Because if you're separated from God, guess what? You'd have to get born again again. And you can't. God's spirit never leaves you. You listening? Book of Hebrews, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He didn't say you couldn't renounce him and walk away, but he'll never leave you. If you. This is something so important because even as it relates to sin, it's like our pastors taught for years and years and years. You Christians who, now I don't believe anybody here does, but he would preach it publicly in places he would go. You Christians that want to play around with sin, you think when you sin, God's not present. He didn't go anywhere. He was in the bed with you. He was in the, he was in the, in the room, whatever. You, he was there. He don't leave you. You grieve him. You grieve him because he's a holy God. And you're subjecting him to something he shouldn't be subjected to. But God doesn't leave you. My point is to say, listen, even if you have sin in your life, God doesn't leave you. He's there to help you get out of it. But he tells you, what do you got to do? You do have to cleanse your hands from sin. I don't have time to go there. 1 John 3 tells you why. 1 John 3 says that if you and I lack confidence in God, it's because we ourselves are feeling convicted but haven't done something about it. I'm paraphrasing. He said, if you've been convicted, what do you get convicted about? Conviction's a good thing. What do you get convicted about? Sin. Wrongdoing. If you've been convicted by God, what should you do? Just repent. Thank God he forgives you. Thank God you're cleansed already based on the blood of Jesus. Can I get a better amen? Amen. What he does, he cleanses your conscience. Your conscience, the voice of your spirit from a knowledge of sin. So you no longer have to in any way feel bad about what you did because God forgives you. But 1 John 3 says that if you and I have a conviction in our heart about something we've done wrong and we don't deal with it. He says you will not have confidence in God. Your old nature will say, God can't do that for you. Look what you did. And it'll affect your faith. So we don't want to be living in any form of willful sin, right? We need to cleanse our hands from sin. Why does he say cleanse your hands? Can anybody help me out with a verse? We let the Bible interpret the Bible. Help me out with a verse. Jesus said it in the Gospels. If your hand causes you to sin, do what? So why is he referring to cleansing your hands from sin here? Because Jesus said, if your hand causes you to sin, what do you do? Don't mutilate your body. Don't have somebody go get a chainsaw or something. Well, there you go. This hand just keeps causing me to sin. Come on, whack it up. That's not what he's saying. God's not a mutilating God. You know what he's, if your eye causes you to sin, do you know there are people that have actually plucked their eyes out? Literally. I'll guarantee you they're deceived by demons. They're not doing something because God told them or they really think it's true. Some demon lied to them. But what's he saying? If your eye causes you to sin, your hand causes you to sin, what he's saying is you got to cut access off to it. If there's something that you can't take your hand off of, 
then you got to find a way to cut off the access to it. That you're no longer looking at it or no longer reaching for it because you can't get it. Can I get a better amen? Years ago, I helped a couple. Uh, It it was a family who actually had a, a husband who got into peeping Tom works, pornography on television, and they thankfully got their, their relationship restored. Matter of fact, they're a great couple today. They love Jesus. They serve God. They actually do a ministry together, type of ministry together in the church. It's wonderful to see what God did to restore their life. But they came to me in the midst of that and they said, Pastor, we got a problem. And so they told me what was going on. And as he told me what was going on, I began to ask him some questions. I said, number one, I said, I have a question. Uh, because of everybody's televisions today, you know, satellite and all this kind of stuff and cable. I said, uh, do you have all these uh, channels on your TV that show you this stuff? Oh, yeah. Then get rid of your satellite TV. What? Get rid of it. Do you want to get free from this? Yeah. Well, you've proven you can't do it on your own. You listening? If you can't do it on your own, guess what you got to do? Cut yourself off to it. If you, can't, if you can't overcome the temptation and not give, number one, who needs that coming into their house to begin with? But I just told him, I said, listen, don't just cut off those channels. Get rid of all of it. You want your marriage restored? Yeah. His wife was in on all this. I said, you want to see yourself free from this? Really free? Yeah. Then do it. And guess what? It's one of the few times that I've sat with a couple over about a handful of uh, four or five days and he actually did what I told him. And it worked. Why? God said it would. So he got rid of all quote unquote cable TV they had in their house. Now I said, what about internet? You work on computers, your job, you work on computers, you access that stuff on the computers? Yep, you look at, this is what's tempting you to go look at these women in your neighborhood. Because all of a sudden this demon starts messing with you and then you can't get enough just on the internet. So now you want to see somebody live and in person. But if you'll deal with this, that'll go away. And I said, get rid of that stuff on your computer. If you have to get child software to lock your computer and give the password to your wife, do so. You know what he did? He went to his boss and he said, is there a way I can do my job without being online? Yes. So he got rid of all online access. He cut off all this stuff from his life. And I said, now here's what you got to do. I'm going to pray with you. And I'm going to believe the anointing is going to come on you to start helping you with this. But you got to stay true to this. And if you'll do it, guess what? You'll get free from this and you'll never be tempted again. And his wife, I mean, what an incredible woman that she was willing to honor him. He had not committed adultery like went and slept with somebody. He got caught peeking at another woman in their neighborhood. What brought all this on? And so I said, what you're going to do is you're going to repent. You're going to ask God to forgive you. He'll forgive you. You got to forgive yourself, but you got to keep this access to this stuff out of your life. And after a while, it won't even be a temptation to you anymore. Amen. And he did it. Amen. God restored their marriage. I, I saw him at a, at a meeting at another church one time. He come up, run up, man. I mean, just grab me. I thought he was going to knock me over, man. Grab me, hug me. And I mean, tears, you know, streaming down his face. He said, you don't know. You don't know what you did for us. So I didn't do it. God did. Yeah, but God used you. You just don't understand. If you wouldn't have been there for us, if you wouldn't have been there to tell us these things, I'll guarantee I'd have lost my marriage. But because of you, we're actually in a ministry in our church today. I said, awesome. That's wonderful. I thank God for that. Can I get a better amen? So how do you cleanse your hand? Cut off access. Cut off access. Number two, you got to also do what? Purify what? Tell me. Verse 8, purify what? Your 
Purify your heart. What are we talking about? Walking by faith, not by sight. That's what a disciple does. So for a disciple to walk by faith, clearly he's got to walk close to God. Like Jesus said, you got to draw near to God. But as you do, you got to cleanse sin from your life and you got to purify your heart from being double-minded. Now, wait a minute. I've taught you this. So here we are, context again. Easy to see by the context. You can look up the word heart there. It's cardia. The word in the context of the Greek, cardia can mean one of two things. It can mean your spirit man or your soul. You got to, you got to determine that by the actual context of what's being said. Which would that be referring to, spirit, man, or soul? Pretty easy. Pretty easy to know soul because he calls you what? Double-minded. What's the mind? Part of the soul. So the heart here is talking about the soul. you got to cleanse, quote-unquote, your soul from being what? Double-minded. Double-minded. Back up to James 1. He gave you the insight to this before he ever got over there into uh, this uh, James chapter, where were we? James chapter 4. James 1. Come on. James 1 verse 2. You still with me? Yes. How many glad you came to church tonight? Yes. My brethren, count it all joy. Count it what? All Tell joy. me out loud, please. Count it all joy when you fall into what? Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith is doing what? Now, let me say something real quick. God's not bringing these trials to test your faith. Life will test your faith. The devil will see that your faith gets tested. You are in a war zone. This is not God testing you. He goes on later to talk about this down in the aspect of the bottom of the, tra- of the chapter. God doesn't tempt you with these things. No. God's not the tempter to do these things. But when you fall into various trials, what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? What would that be? Fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the new created spirit. Rejoice in the Lord knowing that what? My testing of my faith is going to do what? Produce patience. Meaning, all right, my faith's being tested. My trust in God. If I truly have myself in a close relationship with Jesus and I got the word coming into my heart and I've got faith built up in me, guess what I know? My faith is going to cause me to go through this victorious. I won't, I won't fail. I won't lose. Because the testing of my faith is going to produce what? Endurance. Going to help me endure. Patience, the better word there, is endurance. But let this endurance have its perfect work so that you may be what? Perfect and complete lacking what? So all he's saying there is if you stay in faith, guess what happens? You win. You lose nothing. When you get through it all, you'll be lacking nothing because you'll be living a victorious life. You're not going to go through something and lose stuff. You're going to go through stuff and win in Jesus' name. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom. So now he starts talking about another subject, but he's going to tie it back to faith in a minute. If any of you lacks wisdom, what's wisdom? The true nature of something. True understanding of something. If you like that, what about, I've had parents say to me, I just don't know what to do with my kid. Well, I can tell you the basics of the Bible, but beyond that, I don't know. And and guess what? There's only one person I know that does. And it ain't me. And it ain't some counselor. Guess who knows your kids? God does. Guess who knows what you need to do to deal with your kids? God does. If you like understanding about that, guess who you got to go to? Not me. You got to go to God. It's funny. We used to live, I remember the Melvins. We used to live out at the Melvins place years ago, a long time ago. And, you know, they had three kids, Paul, Marilyn, and uh, uh, Caitlin. Thank you. Caitlin and Marilyn May. And so Caitlin was the youngest, Marilyn the center, Paul the oldest. Well, Marilyn and Caitlin, man, we grew up with them. They were just little tykes at that time and running all over the place and everything. And every time Caitlin got in trouble, all Judy would have to do is threaten her with a spanking. She'd freak out like she was already getting beat, like a, you know, like a banshee. Ah, no, I won't do it, I won't do it. 
She threatened Marilyn. Marilyn's like, go ahead and spank me. <laughs> she didn't care. And Judy came to me one time and said, I'll spank her, but it does no good. She just puts up with it, and after it's done, she just goes on doing what she's doing. Caitlin, all I got to do is just talk about a spanking. Man, she is freaking out. She's repenting like immediately and turning around saying, I won't do it anymore. I won't do it anymore. I said, listen, Judy, I, I, I can't give you an answer for that. You got to discipline your kid. But guess who knows how to discipline Marilyn? Right. God does. Ask God about that. And God showed her. God gave her an idea. He said, believe it or not, she's little. I want you to take her. I don't know why. I don't, ask God. She would sit on the floor with her knees bent. She would put Caitlin under her, under the part of her knees there while she's, huh? Marilyn. Marilyn, sorry. She would put Marilyn underneath her knees while she's sitting on the floor. And she said, I'm holding you here for the next five minutes. She'd freak out. She hated it. She couldn't stand it. She said, well, I'm doing it until you tell me you're not going to do this anymore. And finally, Marilyn would break and she said, I'm not going to do it anymore. Not do it anymore. She'd let her go. It worked. <laughs> Say, God knows. <laughs> so if you lack wisdom, who do, you, who do you go to? God. Let him ask God. Who gives to what? All, oh, everybody. And he does it what? Liberally, without reproach. No, he ain't holding nothing back from you. And it will be what? But notice verse 6. Watch this. But let him ask in faith. Underline that. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. Here for wisdom, but he's about to tell you because it's a principle of faith. Faith applies in every realm. Doesn't matter if you're asking for wisdom, healing, whatever. It applies. The principle of faith works the same in every aspect of what you're dealing with. So here, ask in faith with no doubting. Well, I mean, you know, if you ask for healing in faith and doubt, you're not going to get it. If, if you ask anything of God... That's a promise of God, but you doubt. How many know it's not going to work? Not just wisdom. <coughs> Let him ask, <coughs> excuse me, in faith without what? <coughs> Watch this. He who doubts is like what? What is he like? Wave of the sea. What are waves in the sea driven and tossed by? The wind. What's that? Walking by sight. Being tossed by the circumstances. You're, you're, listen to your words. Are your words being affected by the wind? What you say, is it being affected by the wind or what God said in the midst of the wind? <clears throat> Let not that man suppose he will receive, not just wisdom, anything from the Lord. He is what? What is he? Double-minded, unstable what? Remember what James said? If you're going to walk by faith as a disciple, guess what you can't be? Double-minded. Can't be done. He said, he said, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, your soul, from being double-minded. Why? Because double-mindedness produces what? Doubt. Right. If you're double-minded, guess what you're going to do? Doubt God. If you doubt God, guess what you are? Double-minded. Right. What's double-minded? Double-minded is somebody who looks at what God says and knows from the spirit realm, or my spirit, what God says, but it also knows what my mind thinks, my reasoning, the natural realm, and it considers both double-minded. You'll receive nothing from the Lord. You got to forget what your brain tells you. You got to forget what you see in the natural. You got to forget all of that. You got to go with what your heart knows, and that's the word of God. And Jesus said in John 6, the words I speak to you, they are spirit, and they are life. And a person to walk by faith has to do what? Get rid of the double-mindedness by, by meaning what? Quit feeding your soul all the soulish food. Start feeding it spiritual food and get your soul submitted to your spirit, man, so you're not going by what you see and by what God said. It don't work. Right. 
It don't work. A lot of people try to go by what God said, but then they get back over to what they see. And they start talking in line with what they see. What you see may be true. We don't deny it. I've taught you this many times. Bible faith doesn't deny a problem. Don't go to your doctor and your doctor says you got something. Say, no, I don't, to your doctor. Your doctor's going to look and say, why'd you come here to begin with? What, what are you doing here? That's not faith. Well, I can't, I, can't, I can't claim I got it. Now, listen, you don't need to worry about what the doctor thinks. You need to talk to the problem in your body, not the doctor. If the doctor says you have something, is it true? Yeah, or otherwise he wouldn't have told you it's there. Right? It's true, but you know what it's not? It's not the ultimate truth. What's the ultimate truth? God's word. What do you go by? The truth. And the truth trumps true. If you believe it. If you believe it. So you walk away from the doctor. Thanks, doc. Now I know what to deal with. Amen? But once you deal with it, guess what you don't do? You don't talk about it. You don't look at it. You don't say, hey, you're still there. Oh, you're still hurting. Are you still feeling this way? Nope. If you walk by faith, you go by what God said. Period. Amen? But people that are double-minded, this is going to be a problem. So how do I cleanse my heart? Come on, I got to get, I got to quit, man. I only got 15 more verses to cover tonight. <clears throat> so again, how, how do I cleanse my heart? How do I cleanse my soul from double-mindedness? Quit feeding on things that do nothing but satisfy your soulish nature. Feed on spiritual things and get your soul cleansed from all the soulish nature things and you'll get rid of that double-mindedness. But as long as you feed on all these soulish things, you're going to constantly have this battle between your spirit and your soul and you're going to be double-minded. I get a better amen. And that's vital for you and me to walk by faith. Last scripture. You're right close, right next door, Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, name of our new coffee shop in that beautiful new church building that's being built soon. What's the name of that coffee shop? Hebrews. Amen. Well, I don't think coffee's biblical. Watch what you say about coffee. (laughs) I'm teasing. If you had a problem with it, you should get rid of it. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. I mean, doctors now tell you it's healthy. They, they'll, tell you, they, they'll tell you it keeps your heart healthy if you don't overdo it. <clears throat> you still with me? Now you all hung up on, on coffee. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 2. You there? Yes. See, it don't bother. I'm caffeine immune. Kathy can tell you, man, I can drink the largest cup of coffee, not decaf, right before I go to bed, lay down, <clears throat> out like a light. Because I, I drank it for so long driving a rock truck and a mixture and stuff trying to stay awake. It don't, you know, people, oh, I get nervous drinking caffeine. Not me. It don't even affect me. Right. Hebrews chapter 2, you there? Yes. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed. We must give the more. Earnest. We must give the more. Earnest. Listen to that carefully. <clears throat> we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we do what? Right. Last point I want to make. About point number five of the attribute of a disciple. Characteristic of a disciple. A disciple walks by faith, not by sight. sight. Jesus said in John 15, you got to abide in me, stay close to me, and my words have to do what? They got to stay alive in you. Got to keep hearing and hearing and hearing the word. So here's a problem with people who keep over time hearing and hearing the word. You know what they do? They all of a sudden don't give the same earnest heed to it as they did when they first heard it. And if you don't give the same earnest heed to it when you first heard it, guess what it won't do? Produce faith in your life. 
See, if faith came just because you sat in the room and the word was preached, imagine the faith giants we'd have. <clears throat> but it doesn't. If you actually look up Hebrews 10, 17, where it says faith comes by hearing, guess what that word hearing means? It means you listen to it and you gain understanding of it. But you do it what? Every time you hear it. You don't gain understanding one time. Every time you hear it, guess what it does? It reaffirms your understanding. It excites you again. But how do you and I have to protect our life in relationship to keeping faith strong in our life? You have to give the more, more earnest heed to the things you've heard or you will drift away. You won't receive it. You won't think you're not. Uh, you won't think you're drifting away, but you will because God said you would. So when I'm hearing anything in relationship to what I've been taught before, guess what I got to do? I got to press beyond my flesh to get even more excited to clearly hear what God's saying. I don't have a real problem getting very bored with hearing God's word preached. <clears throat> I go over stuff again and again and again and again. And I'll tell you, folks, if you don't obviously live in the spoken word, this case, the word being preached, what's the number one way God brings to you fresh manna from heaven from the word being preached? Being in church. Being in church. But on top of that, if you're hearing it in relationship to what you're doing on a daily basis through devices you have, you can build faith that way as well. How else can you build faith by hearing the word? Thank you, Kathy. What's coming out of your mouth? You hear you more than anybody else in a day. If you speak it consistently, guess what you're doing? You're building faith. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.